Well, welcome everyone and thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here for the first Sunday of Advent. And, uh, you know, I think that this, this whole morning is a bit of a prophetic picture, actually. And uh, we can take opportunity to listen to, and to hear God in every, every situation. If something goes wrong, we don't give the devil glory, we give God glory. And, and this morning, you know, I, I know that everyone out there has at one point felt so weak in their own person that they want to cry, and I feel like that this morning. Honestly, do. But God says that when we are weak, he is strong, and that his grace is made perfect in weakness. And really, this Christmas story is about that. It's about God's glory coming into a weak, imperfect world, into a vessel. God poured himself into a human vessel, weak. Jesus himself, the Son of God, poured into the weakest of frames so that his power may, may be made perfect in us. So when all of our human efforts fail, when the screen doesn't work, when you don't have any time, when you feel like you're just completely run out, we can draw on the source of God who never fails, who never lets you down. He is always there. And the Son of God, Jesus, came for this purpose that we might have life and have it to the full. So if you're feeling like you don't have that fullness of life, Jesus is here today for you. I want to start with a Christmas story. And, and the visuals would have helped for those who lived in this period of time. Many of you have. The year was 1985. And I was, oh gee, 11 something like that. How old, old was I in 1985? <laughs> Somewhere around there. I can't do the math. I'm leaving math for another time. In 1985, I was in grade six. And we had just moved from Qualicum in the middle of my grade six year, which was so hard. And we had uprooted from there into a house that wasn't as cool as the house that we're in. And it was Christmas time. And, and underneath the tree, there wasn't many gifts there was this big cardboard box. It was huge. And me and my three brothers, my one brother and sisters, we would look at that box and we started to imagine what was in this box. We weren't allowed to touch it. We weren't allowed to shake it. But we anticipated what was in this box. Remember, it's 1985. And does anyone hazard a guess of what was the big thing in 1985? The Commodore 64. <laughs> and if I had the visuals, you would see what a personal computer looked like in 1985. It wasn't pretty, but every kid wanted one, and I certainly was one of them. So we imagined, the kids, my brothers, my brothers and sisters and I, that there was a Commodore 64 waiting for us on Christmas morning. We woke up and ran to the box. 
We weren't allowed to open it at first, but soon enough, we opened up the box. What was in it? The greatest disappointment of my childhood life. There was no Commodore 64. There was no technology at all. Instead, there was a pair of gumboots. Three pairs of gumboots, all labeled on the inside with our names. And our childhood hearts just broke. But here is the little lesson in this story. We did not get what we wanted, but we did get what we needed. And we had more fun with those gumboots than we ever would have with a Commodore 64. We put those gumboots out on and we went in the fields, we went in the puddles, we went in the rivers, we explored our farm, we explored down at the river, we went everywhere in those gumboots. And even though this story has the humor of great disappointment, in the end, my parents understood something. They didn't have a lot of money, they couldn't afford a Commodore 64, but they understood what a child's life should be. God, <laughs> God doesn't always give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. And because he is our creator, he knows exactly what we need. And on the first Christmas over 2,000 years ago, God gave this planet what it needed, not what it wanted, not even what it deserved, but what it wanted or it needed. Even the Jews, the people who were given the scriptures and the prophets and knew there was an anointed Messiah, a deliverer promise, hoped for something quite different than what they got. The Jews wanted a political savior. They had hoped for someone who would rescue them from political oppression that they were experienced currently under Roman occupation, but the Jews had always been under some form of occupation, and this was their hope that a political leader would come and finally rescue them. What they got was a babe born in the manger and a political savior who died at the height of his popularity. It wasn't what they expected. In Luke 24, 1921, there's this amazing story. After Jesus had died and he rose again, and he, the disciples still weren't understanding. It was three days. They still weren't understanding what was exactly happening. Jesus approaches a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he's asking them, inquiring them what they're talking about. Luke 24, 1921 records this moment. Jesus asks, what are you talking about? And they say, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And then in verse 25, he, Jesus, said to them, how 
foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Even though the Jews had desired and longed and expected a savior, they still did not know that he was the one and that the depths of God's plan. God had a plan, and it was always his plan that Jesus, Jesus should die for the sins of the world, that he should suffer and take the curse so that we wouldn't have to live under the curse. The Jews hoped for political redemption, but God gave them salvation from their sin. How many of us today are still hoping and looking for a political savior? If God didn't do it with Jesus, why would he do it now? This Christmas, don't get robbed by who is in politics and who is in power. Don't allow the message of the, of the, and the beauty of the Christmas story be robbed by the politics around you. The message is still that if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you will have to be the servant of all. It has not changed. It never will. At the time of Jesus' birth, there was another group of people prominent at the time, the Greeks. These were also referred as the Gentiles. As If you read the scriptures, any reference to the Gentiles is often a reference to the Greeks along the other other um, groups of people who weren't Jews. But these, this particular group, the Greeks, they were the thinkers, the academics, and the philosophers of the time. It is said that Rome conquered the world through might, but Greece actually conquered the world through the intellect. The Greeks had a whole pantheon of gods, and each of their gods um, had temples, and it was, a, it was a real capitalist uh, adventure, actually. You, you could buy merch at the temples. You could buy little idols. You could, you could um, pay for, for services, many, many different kinds of services, including sexual favors. It was a complete capitalist adventure. But even still, even with all the possible gods that were known to the Greeks, they were, st they were still a searching people. The Greeks still had a degree of, of desire to know and to uh, explore the unknown. Even so, that when Paul, who was actually called to preach to the Greeks over the Jews, when he went to Athens, he found an altar there and exploring all the pantheon of gods and all the temples, he found an altar that was dedicated to the unknown God. The Greeks wanted to cover their bases. They realized that they didn't know everything and perhaps there was a God out there that they didn't know. So Paul, when he was traveling to Athens, he came across a group of people, and, and the Bible gives us this funny little explanation of, whole, of what was going on at that time and who these people were. It says that all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. 
that sound a little bit like today? YouTube is full of people giving out their ideas, podcasts, and so forth. And, and it, this particular culture, our culture, is consumed with wanting to know what the newest idea is. You see, the Greeks desired knowledge and understanding above all things. They had a great appreciation for the human intellect and potential. Kind of like Star Trek, they, would, they wanted to go where no one had gone before. They were evidently willing to admit there were things they did not know. But Greek culture, uh, Greek's culture ultimate hope was not in their gods, but in their human intellect, ingenuity, strength of body and mind, the potential of the human race to solve the world's problems. Even today, much of our Western culture comes from ancient Greece. It's fascinating to actually just do a cursory uh, study of how much of our present modern day is influenced by Greece. From medicine, Hippocrates, the Hippocratic Oath, father of modern medicine, the, the Olympics, with the birthplace was, was, in, um, was in Greece. All of that athletic prowess and strength of body comes from Greece. In politics, the, the birthplace of democracy, Plato's Republic and the Socrates. Much of art, music, and entertainment finds its birthplace in Greece with amphitheaters and the great tragic and comedic plays. Even the major and minor scale in music is from classical Greece. Paul goes on to address the Greek uh, people in Acts 17 to the Athenians, saying to them, the God who created the world and everything in it, remember he's talking to these people who are interested in something new. They want to hear the latest, greatest philosophy. So they're listening to Paul speak to them. And he says, the God who created the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, because it is he who gives to all people life and breath and all things. So then, being God's children, we should not think that the divine nature deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination or skill of man. Much of the world today continues to put their hope, like the Greeks did, in humanism. Acquisition of knowledge, science, strength, and creativity. And while we acknowledge that humans can do amazing things, and we are surrounded by the progress of humanity and the amazing things they can do, like a double lung transplant. I mean, is that not the craziest thing? Amazing things. But even with all of that, we still need a savior. Our modern era has more great advances than any other era in all of history. But we are more divided, more impoverished in our souls than ever. According to the 2023 Forbes billionaire list, there are 2,640 10-figure fortunes existing in the world today. 
Altogether, the planet's billionaires are now worth $12.2 trillion. But yet, with all of the wealth, we are still no better across the planet and no closer to solving the world's problems. So while the Greeks were hoping to acquire some new wisdom from Paul, God chose to give them a foolish message that required only faith and trust and grace. It was a gift they couldn't earn and they couldn't boast in. It didn't require human intellect, knowledge, discipline, or learning. It just asked them to believe. 1 Corinthians 1, 20 to 25, Paul writes to a mostly Greek church. And he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will. This is God speaking here. Listen to this. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate I'm going to say that again because this is the world that we live in. We all think we are so smart. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? God's asking this. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law, the religious people? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The Greeks had everything. We have everything, but we're no closer to finding God. Our wisdom, our human wisdom is not leading to life. Jews demand a sign and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach, we, that's us. What are you preaching today? What are you communicating today? Are you preaching the gospel or are you investing the message of Jesus with some kind of poison, some kind of wisdom acquired by human understanding? But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Listen to this. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Anne talked about that oil pouring in. You can't pour oil into a full vessel. The only way to receive the oil of the Holy Spirit is to divest yourself of your strength, of your ability, of your intellect, of your majesty, for lack of a better word, and allow God to pour in his strength and his wisdom. If God's strength is greater than the, the greatest strength on the human planet, then I want his strength. <laughs> I want his strength. I don't want my strength. Do you really believe this? Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, in his love for us, he didn't give what we deserved or what we were asking for. He gave us what we needed.
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you want that this morning? Do you want eternal life? Do you want everlasting life? Or would you rather trade that for this life and all it has? Because you can have it either way. It's your choice. God's given you the choice. The only way to everlasting life is through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, 4, 5. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. God always had a plan. But that plan was set in motion from the very beginning. And when the time had fully come in God, in his plan, in his destiny, in his pre-understanding, his predestined understanding, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Many of us are still consumed in putting our hope in our humanness. Political power and human utopia are not the solution. The solution is Jesus. I was in London Drugs the other day, just recently, actually looking for some makeup for the banquet and, and um, just going about my business as everyone else was there and just, you know. And I was, it was a funny scene because I was actually just looking at, like, literally on my, like, crouch down, looking at, at some makeup and, and I heard the words coming off of the loudspeaker. And, and it was like, glory stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. Christmas carols. The gospel going out over the airwaves. And you think, wow. Wow. God's plan is still in effect. He's still sending his son to this planet, in a sense. He's already sent it, but the message of his son is still going out. It's the same plan today, Jesus Christ. If you open your Bible today, you will recognize that the Bible is an amazing book of prophecy. God's plan from beginning to the end, um, elaborated through song, through verse, through prophetic voices, through people that... that in some cases had no relationship to one another. But all these stories from front to end point to Jesus. It's helpful when considering the Bible that it's not one book written from front to, to back by one person. It's, it's, a, it's a series of books. It's actually 66 books. Um, I think it's, uh, what, 39 uh, books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. So if you were to go on Amazon and actually order the books of the Bible, you would have like a little mini library. But it's all been condensed into one book, the Bible. And if you read, if you start reading, even on a cursory level, if you read from the beginning to the end of the Bible, you'd be amazed. And I hope many of you have already done that. But but even if you don't believe in Jesus or you're not even a Christian, if you read, you would likely be impressed, as many have been, by the consistency of the story, God's message and plan for humanity. 
the character of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are prophecies throughout the Old Testament that all point to Jesus. And it's amazing because the probability of one man fulfilling all those, those prophecies is something crazy. I think it's, it's, it's 10 to the power of 17. It's an astronomical number that is impossible for, for one person to fulfill, but Jesus fulfilled that. And it, in a way that circumstances such as his birthplace, his lineage, his method of execution, which are way beyond any person to manipulate, um, Jesus fulfilled. Jesus' birth, the first Christmas, wasn't an accidental blip of history, but a culmination of thousands of years of prophetic words from Genesis to Malachi, speaking very specific details about the Son of God and how he would come. Jesus himself wanted the disciples to understand who he was and that it was necessary that he might fulfill what the scriptures had foretold about him and that he was fully submitted to the will of God, God's plan, his story foretold by the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. He says in Luke, he said to them, again, after he, he had uh, risen from the dead and he's discussing with, the, with his disciples what the whole plan, he says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of, the Mo of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. When Peter wrote, um, stood up in that great sermon he gave at the beginning of Acts 3, 17 and 18, he says to, th to the crowd, which was mostly Jews, he says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. He's speaking to them about um, sacrificing Jesus and, or killing Jesus and, 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 and mocking him. He's, he's saying to them, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as, as your rulers also did. But the things which God previously announced by the mouths of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled in this way. Paul, too, he says, when he would go out in, and, and preach the gospel, he would reason with the people in, in the synagogues, and in Acts 17, 1 to 4, it says, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis, sorry, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath day, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you in is the Messiah, he said. So God always had a plan, and he prophesied that plan. He, he predicted that plan. He said, these are the things that are going to happen. And so when Jesus was born, and all the events that happened leading up to his death, leading up to, to his resurrection, God always said, this is the way it's going to happen. So that when, when the... When, the apostles and the disciples came to bring the message. They were like, hey, look, God already knew about this. He already told you it was going to happen. This is the way it happened. And this is why we can have hope and believe in the reality of who Jesus said he was. You can have confidence in the Bible. You can trust it, and you can trust the person of Jesus. You can put your hope in him. There is no one like Jesus. 
He's the biggest social influencer on the planet. He has had billions of followers. I think the, the biggest Instagram account right now is Ronaldo, who has something like 750 million followers, which is pretty crazy. But, <laughs> but compared to Jesus, who has billions of followers, if he had an Instagram account, it would be, it would be astronomical. <laughs> Also, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. An estimated 5 to 7 billion copies have been sold and distributed. The next, the next um, ranking religious text is the Quran with only 800 million copies. That is how amazing and influential the person of Jesus is. It is a remarkable thing to consider him and how a babe born in a stable in Bethlehem to a virgin who was married to a carpenter has literally transformed the whole of human history. Jesus stepped down into human history. The veil was torn in two, old to new, darkness to light, death to life, slavery to freedom, right down the middle. The birth of Jesus was such a cataclysmic event that all of recorded history and the accepted standard of reference for human civilization is poised on the birth of Christ. All art, all architecture, all literature, all history, all philosophy, all scientific discovery all revolves around the birth of Christ. AD stands for Anno Domini, Latin for in the year of the Lord, while B.C. stands for before Christ. Everything is categorized according to that standard. Now, the secularists now call it B.C.E. and C.E., which means the common era. But I want to tell you a secret. The common era is still Jesus. Consider this. All the planets revolve around the gravitational pull of the sun. They can call the sun by any other name. But it doesn't change the fact that every single planet is drawn to its gravitational pull. It's the same with Jesus. The whole of the world revolves around the gravitational pull of the sun, S-O-N. And his name is Jesus. I don't know if you've heard recently, but the Canadian Human Rights Commission has declared that the celebration of Christmas is evidence of Canada's colonialist religious intolerance and is a form of discrimination against religious minorities. But try as they might to cancel Jesus, cancel Christmas, cancel his influence, they can try and dismiss the reality of Jesus, call him in Christmas by other names, but there is no escaping the gravitational pull of the Son of God. Philippians 2, 9 to 11 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
can I suggest to you today to put your trust afresh in Jesus? The world around us is crumbling. It's alarming, actually. I mean, the rate to which this world is on a train bound for nowhere <laughs> is, is, is just it's astonishing. I, I never thought that I would ever see something degrade so quickly. But it isn't much different than when Jesus first came. The Jews were seeking a political leader. How many of us now across the world and in every nation are seeking political leaders to take the charge and to lead the way? They're putting their hope in a person. The Greeks are seeking a human solution. And how much are we today doing the same thing with technology and with education and with advances in human intellect and medicine and so forth, we're looking for a human solution to the problems of our planet. But God came down and confounded it all. The Bible says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. This world is shaking. It's shaking. The church is shaking. It's shaking. We, many of us individually, are being shaken, shaken. But when the shaking stops, what remains is one person. And he is the rock of Christ Jesus, the solid rock on which we stand. Everything else is shifting sand. So put your feet solidly on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, and you will not shake when all the world around you is shaking. Jesus is still doing today what he did when he first came, tearing down the religious structures and confounding those who think they are wise. The message of Jesus is simple. It's a child who believes. It's that simple. Faith is a child. Like the United Pursuit song, I'm getting back to the simple gospel. I invite you this morning and this season to get back to the simple gospel. Jesus is not what we ask for or even what we deserved. He's so much more than what we deserved as a planet. But he is what we need now more than ever. Choose to reject what continues to fail. The world system and its solutions and emptiness. It cannot save us, but Jesus can. This is our story. Jesus is our gift. God's gift to humanity. God's gift to you. Do you know him? Are you here and you haven't met Jesus yet? I invite you this morning. If that's you, if you've come because someone invited you, or you're curious, or maybe you've heard that Christians are kind of nice and might be cool to hang out with. I don't know. Maybe you've heard opposite. It doesn't really matter. The point is, God has called you here. It's not an accident that you're here. And we would love to invite, inv invite you to know the Savior, our Savior, the one who has changed our lives. Christmas is a generous feast for us who believe. 
And I would just encourage you this Christmas, enjoy him. Enjoy his presence. Enjoy the people around you. Enjoy fellowship. Don't get caught up in all the other stuff if you can. I know it's a busy season, but enjoy the gift of God, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. We'll just close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that in our weakness, you are strong, Lord. Thank you for choosing to come, Lord. It could have it could have been so different, but Lord, you loved us. You saw us. You knew us. You chose us. You separated us from for yourself, Lord. Lord, your desire is to be reconciled with us, to have reconciliation, create, created to creator, child to father. Lord, we ask right now, even now, Lord, that you would reconcile those who do not know you, that you would call them back to yourself. Lord Jesus, we honor you this Christmas. We honor what you did for us. We honor that you weren't what we wanted, but you were what we needed, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No words can express the depth of our gratefulness to you, Lord. We praise your name. We give you glory. We give you honor. You are worthy of it all.